Welcome. As uh, Seth said, we're glad you're here, and I am uh, continuing teaching on prayer, and we've uh, discussed a number of different aspects of prayer, and actually um, <clears throat> most of what we've talked about has been real traditional. You can't get much more traditional uh, when teaching about prayer if we're talking about the Lord's Prayer, and that's what we took the last couple of weeks to discuss and kind of delve into that. Today I'd like to share something that may seem to some of us to be new, and it's only new, uh, if it's new, it's new to you, okay? <laughs> because it's none of it's new. In fact, it's, it's so old that it's new again, kind of like, kind of like fashion. <laughs> Uh, in other words, uh, some of what I'm going to be talking about, or most, most of what I'm talking about, is really stuff that's founded in, in um, ancient, ancient practices. It's all very biblical. It's uh, uh, deeply rooted in, in Scripture and in the practice of the church going back uh, right to the beginning, thousands of years, and even before that to Old Testament worship um, <clears throat> principles. And so, again, if, it's, if some of the things I say seem new, it's only because they're new to you. How many like new things? How many like new things? Everybody likes new things. I like new things. Join with me in prayer. Father, we ask for your grace to come and help me communicate what you've put on my heart. Father, make our, our hearts and minds are, uh, uh, open to what you have for us. Lord, open our eyes to see wonderful things from your word. Lord, we're so dependent on you. And uh, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so throughout this is a quote from a book <clears throat> called The Folly of Prayer. I have a few copies out before your left. You can get them if you want. Um, throughout the centuries, the church has used a word for concrete objects, signs and symbols used in a physical way of praying. And that word is sacrament. Okay, so throughout the centuries, the church has used the word for concrete objects, signs and symbols used in a physical way of praying sacrament. That's what sacrament is. In another book, Richard Foster, extremely respected author, um, on his book on prayer, says sacramental prayer is incarnational prayer. God, in his great wisdom, has freely chosen to mediate his life to us through visible, and I would add the word tangible, realities. I'll repeat that because it may be kind of thick. <clears throat> or we may be kind of thick. <laughs> Sacramental prayer, so this form of prayer is incarnational prayer. And I'll talk about what that means in just a minute. But this, this line, God in His great wisdom has freely chosen to mediate his life to us through visible or tangible realities. All right? <clears throat> so the idea of sacrament and incarnation is that God uses stuff, things, concrete things and activities to communicate and relate to us. And this is why I'm talking about it in the context of prayer, is that our prayers, um, or God uses things and stuff 
to communicate to us, and we can actually communicate to God through the use of sacramental prayer. Okay? <clears throat> and understanding this, 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 this idea, this concept, not just understanding it, but actually practicing it. Uh, sacrament, <clears throat> the word for sacrament is actually based on the word that we get, mystery. And it's used throughout the New Testament uh, in that it's a mystery. And guess what? There's a lot of mysteries in life. The older I get, the more mysterious. It's like, wow, you know, what is going on? <laughs> it's a mystery. And then Scripture, mystery is actually celebrated. It's not avoided. We don't need to be afraid of things we don't understand. Because you're not going to understand God. All right? This is peace that what? Passes what? Our, our understanding. So we can receive peace from God beyond our understanding, in spite of our understanding. And so mystery and sacrament are really the same words, the same idea, that somehow, some mysterious way, God is present or God uses or meet. I like the way he puts it. He mediates his life to us through visible or tangible. Visible limits it to one sense, tangible expands it to all of our senses. Stuff we can touch, taste, see, smell, whatever. Uh, incarnation, when, when Foster says that sacramental prayer, prayer is incarnational prayer, the, the idea of incarnation <clears throat> is that God inhabits. All right? In the incarnation, when Jesus came and was incarnate, God, Jesus existed from eternity to eternity. He is, he is, he is God. He always was God. He always will be God. But He took upon himself humanity, and so he, he was incarnate. He became man. And uh, uh, so in that sense, God is incarnate. But in an in a even bigger sense or in a more broad sense, God is incarnate in his creation. In other words, there's another word that's called eminent, not imminent, but eminent, and that God infuses or, or is present. He's present. God is omnipresent, right? Okay, so God is present. The psalmist says you can't go anywhere to get away from God. Even if you go to hell, He's going to be there. You can't get out of God's reach because He's everywhere. All right? Now, this is different than the idea of uh, uh, polythe or, uh, pantheism. Pantheism. <laughs> pantheism thinks that everything is a God or that there are gods in everything. Okay, and I've seen this when we go to Japan. They worship the trees, you know. They decorate them and put little on the base of every big tree. There's a little altar, and people leave sacrifices to the spirit that's in the tree. I mean, they really believe that there's a little god in the tree or a big god or whatever god, you know. High tech people that use computers and cell phones that actually make all the ones you do, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but they think spirits are in trees, and it, it's that's not what I'm talking about. God created creation and he exists and he mediates or he manifests himself in and through creation, yet he's still distinct from creation. Okay? And that's the difference between uh, pantheism and biblical Christianity and the idea of, of God as 
explained in the scripture. <clears throat> so, God uses stuff or things or activities to communicate and relate to us. And God actually can inhabit. Uh, uh, he came as a man. The distorted assumption that I, I want to address that a lot of Christians carry about is that to be really spiritual, we must separate ourselves from the physical or material world. Okay, so there's an idea that, and it's in all of us, that to be spiritual means to be less in the natural. And that that's the spiritual, I have to, you know, separate myself from my physical being or the material world and become more spiritual. And that's actually a heresy. Ooh, ooh. And, and some people are like, well, what's a heresy? <laughs> I don't want to be a heresy. <laughs> Sorry. That's an inside joke. <laughs> a heresy is like a really bad teaching that can get you into serious trouble. All right? Like to the point where you're not even a Christian if you, if you buy into it too far. All right. The, the, uh, so this idea of to be really spiritual, we have to separate ourselves from the material world is really part of the Gnosticism or Gnostic um, heresy that was prevalent in the earliest days of the church. That much of the New Testament is written to clarify that Christianity does not embrace these false teachings, but it's still alive. It's thriving today. And, and in fact, Many evangelical, Bible-believing Christians have bought into some of the uh, heretical ideas uh, that are really Gnosticism in disguise. And this idea that spiritual things are good and physical things are bad is is at the root of Gnosticism and basically all uh, most uh, corrupted spirituality. Okay, spiritual things are good and bad. (laughs) Really good and really bad. And natural things are good and bad. All right? The spiritual is not good and the natural bad. That's not the way it works. And if you buy into that, it just kind of throws a monkey wrench in the whole thing of what God's trying to do. To quote this author... It says, in a fully biblical way of praying, we don't pray better by becoming more spiritual. We pray better by becoming more physical. I hope you go away with more questions than answers. <laughs> Thanks. In a, in a fully biblical way of praying, we don't pray better by becoming more spiritual. We pray better by becoming more physical. We learn to encounter God not just through verbal interaction and intellect. Those are good things. All right? In fact, your brain is actually a thing. All right? Well, for some of us. <laughs> Sorry. (laughs) 
Verbal interaction is good. Intellect is good. Thought is good. God created it, but it's not the only way that we communicate through God. Um, <clears throat> he can communicate, and we can communicate with him through all of our senses, sight, sound, touch, smell, taste. We can communicate and relate with him. We can experience God through every form. So we can, we can, God can speak to us through smell, through touch, certainly through sound and through light. For those of you who are guests with us, this is the first time we've had the lights installed. So, Physical stuff, physical stuff connects with us spiritually. Listen, I'll tell you, we, I can't wait until we can turn off all the lights and have a prayer meeting with just those lights on. Right, you understand now that, oh, a light bulb affects my spirituality. You better believe it. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Yeah, it just is. God uses it. Physical stuff connects with us spiritually. Now, there's a biblical basis for this. I want to talk a little bit about that, and then we're going to do an activation. I'm not going to spend a lot of time. I could spend the rest of my life describing or explaining this, understanding the theology of it. But it's, it's biblical. It's all in there. <clears throat> John 1.18 Jesus is the sacrament of God, okay? In other words, everything, we judge everything, all theology, all understanding, all doctrine on the person of Jesus Christ, okay? We're Christocentric. And so <clears throat> we looked at Jesus Christ and say, well, wait a minute, is this how Jesus operated? And I'm telling you, Jesus is the sacrament. He is the ultimate sacrament in that he came as a being. He had flesh. He had blood, he had bones, he was born, he walked among us, right? right? And so he is God in the flesh, all right? And that is just amazing, all right? John 1.18, the whole of John really uh, elaborates on it. He says, no one has ever seen God, but the unique one, this is from the New Living Translation, the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart, he has revealed God to us. And so God revealed himself to us through who? Jesus, who was a real person. Right? It wasn't the idea of Jesus. It wasn't the concept of a Savior. It wasn't fulfilled until Jesus was actually living. All right? And until that happened, it wasn't good enough. This is where we're not, Christianity is not a philosophy. John 14, verse 9 in the New King James says, uh, Jesus is talking to his, uh, one of his disciples, Philip, and says, Have you been with me so long and yet have not known me, Philip? He's like, Philip, dude, you've been with me all this time, you still don't get it? <laughs> he says, He, Jesus then says, He who has seen me has seen the Father. In other words, you see the Father by seeing Jesus. That's sacrament. Okay, that's Jesus being a sacrament, Jesus displaying God through physical reality. 
He's the ultimate sacrament of God. And because we as humans cannot experience God directly, we have to have a mediator, and the mediator between God and man is Jesus Christ. All right? So Jesus has established that this is just how God communicates. All right? In fact, in another place in Romans it says, you know, the invisible attributes of God can be clearly seen through what? Through creation. All right? So it's very scriptural that the nature and character of God is displayed or communicated through objects, things, stuff. Jesus being the ultimate and the perfect and the only uh, uh, complete uh, 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 sacrament. In Him dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Okay, You can't take out the bodily part. All right? Christianity wholeheartedly, this is another quote, <clears throat> acknowledges the goodness of creation and gladly and bravely affirms man. The fact that God has become man, indeed flesh, proves that redemption and resurrection of the entire earthly world is not just a possibility but a reality. Because God became man... Indeed, flesh, it proves that redemption and resurrection of the whole of creation is not just a possibility, but a reality. All right? And and some people have twisted this doctrine or this idea to come up with some really wacky conclusions. All I'm trying to say here is that God uses stuff. All right? And we need to embrace that. And that we can incorporate this idea of sacrament into our prayer life. Think of the ways that God has communicated to man. When God created mankind, where did he put them? In a garden full of life. What did he do? He'd walk with them in the garden. What what did that look like? We don't know. But we know what happened. It was plants. When, When Adam and Eve sinned, And God dealt with the sin. Then what did He do? He clothed them with what? Animal skins. Now we don't know if this happened, but I wonder if Adam and Eve had to watch Him do that. I wonder if it was one of the animals Adam had named. And He had to watch God kill him. And skin them. Just to clothe them. Do you think that had an impact? Alright? That the skin of an animal? That's a kind of real. <clears throat> I think it does. Here's another example. How about <clears throat> when when after the flood and, and, and Noah spent all the time in the boat, and then after it was done, what did God provide as a sign for the covenant? A rainbow. He didn't just make a promise. He says, here's my sign. And we still see it today. Oh, wow. Who was the sign for? Look it up. It wasn't for us. It was for God. How about uh, Genesis chapter 17? Here's, a, here's a, something that gets real Physical, 
circumcision. I'm like, wait a minute. You want to do what? Okay, come on. Not much talk about circumcision in the church these days. Frankly, because it's weird. All right? But God wants to make a point. He interacts with us on a very intimate level. (laughs) I'm glad it's the New Testament. Praise God. All right? If you weren't circumcised in the Old Covenant, you were not part of the people of God, period. No way around it. It wasn't the idea of circumcision. It wasn't what circumcision illustrated. Now, we understand from the New Testament perspective that, yes, that was something that indicated something greater. So it wasn't the work itself, but what the work represented. But nevertheless, it was mediated, it was communicated, it was revealed through a real experience. All right, I've got to move on. The promise to Abraham of the Messiah, God took Abraham, I wonder what that looked like, outside and told him to look up at the stars and count them. Count the stars. Another place, Abraham uh, in Genesis 21, says he planted a tree. It was actually an act of prayer. He planted a tree. When was the last time you planted a tree in prayer? I'm going to go out and pray. I need my shovel. See, that's praying biblically. Jesus continues this. You know, all through the Old Testament we find examples of this. Jesus continues this. Jesus touched people. All right? Jesus spit at people. Jesus made mud and smeared it in people's eyes. All right? Jesus made a whip and went through the temple and caused havoc. Jesus endured torture and scourging and crucifixion. All right? That was real. It was through that our redemption was obtained. It was not the idea of it. It wasn't talking about it. It was accomplished on a real cross with a real person, with real blood. Okay? The whole Bible... You know, the New Testament continues throughout with laying out of hands, people getting healed, uh, signs and wonders. All of it includes doing or touching or interacting. The whole Bible is about touchy-feely stuff. Right? The whole Bible is filled with touchy-feely stuff. It's not neat. It's not tidy. And it certainly isn't academic, even though academics is a great thing. That's not how God generally exhibits himself, although he can. It's messy, it's drastic, at times brutal, at times sensual, but it's always immersive. All right? Immersive means to be immersed. And so to pray biblically is to pray immersively, to be immersed, to be overwhelmed, to be submerged. Is that making sense? And you can't do that with just just your mind. That's where I'm going at. <clears throat> now, there's a couple of things I need to point out, and then we're going to have an activity. Um, first of all, God loves, bless you, God loves creation. 
God doesn't hate creation, and creation is not bad. All right? In fact, creation is really good. Uh, uh, and, and our interaction with creation is, is, is I mean, God uses creation to, to interact and to communicate with us in a multitude of ways. But so often we've reduced prayer to, some, to just a verbal experience on an intellectual level. Okay? And, and what I'm trying to communicate this morning is that, no, that's not the form of prayer. That's not the, full, that's not the fullness. That's not even a beginning of prayer. Prayer includes all of the senses and can include all our experience on every level. Um, <clears throat> It says that the, uh, let me read Romans 8, verse 20 through 26. It says, For creation was subjected to futility. First of all, God loves creation. You know, He created the world, and he, what did He say? It says it was very good. And He still loves creation. And what I mean by creation is everything from the smallest insect to the largest galaxy. Right? Do you think God likes stars? He sure did make a lot of them. Do you think God liked insects? A lot more than I do. Although some of them are cool. All right? I don't like the ones that bite me. <laughs> you know? God just, God just loves all this stuff. I mean, he doesn't just put up with it. He loves... I was thinking, actually, during... In between, sometime be, between first service and this time. <laughs> you know, if we take a piece of land and we leave it alone, what happens to it? it no, it doesn't die. It comes to life. If you want proof, go walk out in that field. You know, there's trees and plants. And if mankind just steps back, everything just goes... You know... And to the point where we can't even get in anymore. And we come and we cut it all down. You know, make a parking lot. <clears throat> There's no problem with creation. Right? God loves it. And here in Romans it says, All of creation was subjected to futility, not willingly. Creation has a will? Think about that for a few decades. But because of him who subjected it in hope. In other words, it was brought into subjection. Creation was brought into subjection because of a hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. And then it goes on to talk. There's a, there's a redemption for not only our spirits, not only our souls and our bodies, but all of creation. And creation is groaning for that. If you want to hear the groaning of creation, listen to an earthquake. Listen to a volcano. You know, that's the earth groan, I believe. All right? And it goes on later in that verse, or in that passage, to talk about the Spirit helps us with our prayers and our groanings. So we join in the chorus of prayer with creation calling out for the redemption that has been promised. <sighs> I want to get to some practical ways where we can pray sacramentally. 
Okay? The first is, is communion. Jesus instituted communion. <clears throat> and he, he had a loaf of bread. And he's told his disciples to take and eat. He didn't say take and understand. When I, when I talk to my kids about being careful about stuff on, the, on TV and on the Internet, I say nothing's real unless you can smell it. Maybe they'll make a computer someday that emits smells. I'll have to come up with a better analogy. <laughs> you smell it. It's, it's real. You know, the disciples, when they experienced communion that first time, they didn't, understand, they didn't know what he was talking about. This is my blood. He knew that he was going to be covered in blood within hours. They didn't. We know it now. Take and drink it. What does that mean? It's a mystery. It's a, it's a mystery. But we do it in faith, and it's real. So this is an ultimate sacrifice. This is an ultimate expression of prayer. It includes every aspect of prayer. Repentance, forgiveness, confession, examination, celebration, all of it. Right there. And you can do it in your home as a family or as an individual. And we do it at church. What are some other ways? <clears throat> we, can, uh, we can pray sacramentally. All right? I wanted to talk more about this, but I'm just going to give it a little plug. This is a book called The Divine Hours. There are other sources that are similar to it, but this is a recent revision of a very old practice called, uh, 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 what's it called? Praying the Hours. Okay? And so over the centuries, they have developed um, uh, particular prayers. And if you pray these prayers, each one, there's one couple of pages per day. I did it yesterday. It, it, the morning prayer took like three minutes. Right? But rather than having to just come up with a prayer, you know, you can just read the prayer. And it's like 95 or more percent just scriptures that you just read out loud. But they've been thought through and put into a, a logical order or a meaningful order. And when you join with them in prayer, if you take this book and you can order it online, it's on our website, uh, <clears throat> or you can go online and, and get it for free. You can look at each day freely. Um, uh, you're joining with tens of thousands, if not millions of Christians all over the world that pray these same or similar prayers. And you're joining with Christians that have been praying the same or similar prayers for over a thousand, almost at least 1,500 years they've been developed. Talk about the communion of saints. So we're going to try this. This is October. This starts in October, this recent one. And so you just pray daily through it. And if you miss a day, who cares? You know, don't worry about it. <clears throat> just, it's just a, 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 it's something to help you. But this is sacramental because it's outside of you. The Scripture is sacrament. The, the Bible is an object through which God communicates to us. And also it's authoritative, unlike you know, other things that we can get a, a, a dim image of. The scripture gives us a clear image and Jesus is the perfect image. So <clears throat> it's just it's something that you can use outside of yourself that uh, can help you. Uh, body prayer. Guess what? You don't just have a spirit. You are spirit. Right? You don't just have a body. You are a body. When you die, your spirit will be with God 
until the resurrection, and then you get a new body. But we are bodily creatures. And so how you move your body, everybody move your body. Your body is a very powerful thing. All right? Learn how to use it to pray. You know? <clears throat> a lot of us were taught to pray like this. I cannot think of a more unscriptural way to pray. Okay? What does the Bible tell us to do with our hands? Lift them up! What else? Clap your hands! Not be quiet and tie your fingers together and hide. Although it's okay. (laughs) If it helps you. Touch someone. Touch someone or something when you pray. Touch something. Touch someone. Every if you when you I like to quote I didn't write it down, but when you pray while touching someone's body, you are, you are, you're in direct contradiction to all Gnosticism and that whole heresy that the body doesn't matter. In fact, you're affirming it. And you know what? Jesus touched people because he affirmed our physical bodies. God wants to bless your body. He wants to heal your body. Go outside. You know, very little of the Bible took place in a church or in a building whatsoever. Almost all of the biblical narrative took place where? Outside. So when you encounter, you ever talk to somebody and go, well, I connect with God outside. Don't tell them, no, you need to go to church. Go, yeah. You know why you connect to God outside? Because God's outside, you know. And that's great. And you can get to know God to a certain level. But you need more than that, you know. You can connect to trees, great, and, but you can do more with the tree in a wood shop, you know. Or in a laboratory, you can understand a tree a lot better. All right? So there's different levels. There's nothing wrong with that. But we get this twisted idea that, we, you know, going outside is weird or nutty or new agey. No, it's actually biblical. Experience God like Abraham experienced God. Or Moses. How many mountains did Moses climb? Okay, incorporate stuff in your senses. All right, this is what we're going to do. I'm sorry we're going to go over. Um, I want several people to go to each one of these tables. Quickly, please. Volunteers. Volunteers. Come on. Be bold. Be strong. Be courageous. You won't be asked to do too much. Okay, there you go. All right. And now what we're going to do, I need the other microphone. We're going to take a minute. Now, there are, there are different things. Look, for those of you at the table, just look at the stuff at your table. Touch it, smell it, feel it, whatever. And what I'm going to ask you, for, for those of you setting, there's a rock and stones on that table. There's water on this table. There's animal pelts and a rope there. And there's a tree and a saw that I used to cut down the tree uh, over there. <coughs> okay, listen up. This is what I want you to do. Take a minute and... Ask yourself, I'm going to have you pray a prayer that has been stimulated or uh, influenced by the object that you're standing next to. Okay? This is a little different than a prophetic activation where you hear God's voice based on something. 
This is how can you pray? What is God leading you to pray? How can your prayer life be expanded to include the influences that you have? So let's just take a minute. Everybody be quiet and let's just let them pray and connect with And so you're going to lead us in prayer. And I'd like everyone in the room, please, to pray along as, as each one prays a short prayer. Father God, we just uh, ask that uh, an understanding of uh, rock as, as a foundation, as, as the earth is of rock and stone. And uh, we, we believe that it was your creation. I thank you, Lord, for rocks. I, they are uh, you use rocks as we are living stones. Yeah. I thank you, Lord, for the example and the gift that stones are. Thank you, Lord. Oh, thank you, Papa. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, God, um, for providing us with water because um, water is a rep- representation of life, and it falls down on all of us, and it fills up this entire world with life. Um, and it's a sign of fluid movement, which is what you can give to each of us. Thank you. <laughs> um, thank you, God, for your creation. Um, each animal has such beauty and, and intricate work and the de- it just symbolizes your detail and your creativity and um, we just thank you God for how you can point to things um, that represent you and your creation Father thank you that hope is the anchor of our souls and that we're connected to an un shakable rock no matter what storms blow that was the drawing from first service thank you for the trees because they they support life for us and our planet Lord thank you for the change in seasons as I look at the tree and think about the tree we have Seasons where there's dead things on the trees. It's brown, and it looks like it's not going to come back to life. And then um, you see the green on the tree, and you think, oh, there's spring coming, and then all the greenery that comes with summer. And I thank you, Lord, for the seasons and the change that we can know when we're going through something hard that something good is around the corner, too. Thank you, Father. Do you have something you want to pray? No. Does he have something you want to pray? Thank you for the trees because it shows that the life that you've given us, the beauty that can be within it, and that we can keep growing even though each year passes, there's a lot to be given. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for the growth and the spirit that we can take with you, Father, and just the fruits that are bared on the trees as the fruits of the spirit in our soul, Father. And we just bless that in your name. Amen. Awesome. Give them a hand. Yeah, good job. On the spot. So what that was an example of was simply taking something objective, something a concrete reality, and allowing it to influence your prayer and, and allowing it to lead you in prayer. 
And so my exhortation or encouragement is to do this, to pray always. You know, wherever you're at, when you're watching the sunset, I just take a moment and go, okay, God, what are you saying to me through this? Or how can I express myself on this beach or wherever you are? My, my, my exhortation is to pray with your whole heart. If necessary, use words. Seth now has some announcements. All right.